And so, why don't we open in prayer? Father, we thank you once again for all of your goodness, and we lift up the service to you. We thank you, Lord, for all the ministries that go on here, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for all those who are present, Lord. We lift up those who are facing adversity. We pray this morning, Lord, that uh, you would work on their behalf, that this morning, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The scripture we're looking at today is Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And uh, before we look at the six petitions that make up this prayer, I just want to acknowledge that um, as a series, we're actually in week two this week, we're going through the book Celebration of Discipline. Uh, Many of you are familiar with this book. It's actually a Christian classic. Uh, It's mandatory for anybody, anybody's Bible school education. This is definitely a book that's covered um, everywhere because it's just regarded as one of those works that's so important for developing the spiritual disciplines in uh, our lives. And the subtitle is The Path to Spiritual Growth. And so I'd encourage you to pick up a copy. We can order the copies here if you sign up um, on the sign-up sheet. They're only available in hardcover, so they're $25. But you can easily um, find them online on Amazon. Um, get a used copy if you want um, for something cheaper, maybe an older edition like this one is. So we're in week two, the discipline of prayer. And I want to read to you the scripture once again. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. My title for the message this morning is The Discipline of Prayer. How important is prayer? We could say it's very important. But really, how much prayer makes up our lives? If we were to take a self-assessment this morning and, and, and look at our own prayer life, how would you score? How would you, if you were to give yourself on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the greatest, how would you feel about your prayer life? And then not only do we know instinctively that we need to pray more, but it just seems like the way our lives go, that everything and anything that could happen takes us away from praying. Although we know we need to pray. If I was to ask for hands raised this morning to say, how many believe in the power of prayer, I'm sure all of our hands would go up. And yet, one of the things that we... We, we see is this lack of prayer in our lives. Why is that? Why is that? You know, uh, many years ago, I was um, doing a, a course in uh, the Bible college, and I had to interview um, a church leader. And uh, I interviewed a pastor by the name of Robert Johnson. I'm sure I've, I've mentioned this to you before. 
And I, I, I did somewhat of a, a biographical sketch with him, and he's, you know, something like 85 years old now. He lives out in California. He's pastoring there still. And he's just so young at heart, and I had him on Skype, and here he's Skyping with me. And at the close of our interview, I asked him, what's the one recommendation that you would make to a young minister or young ministers like myself? And without any hesitation, he looked over through the the Skype online and he said to me, this generation is simply unwilling to pray. And if there's any recommendation I can make to you is that God's house would be a house of prayer. That we would commit to praying. Because he, in his ministry, came from a small town in Ontario. I think he's from Pembroke. Ontario, and he came from a very um, broken home, broken family, and yet he saw God move on his behalf because of prayer. When he graduated Bible college, he didn't go into a, a big ministry, although he was called to right away. He was called to go to a big church, but he knew something. He knew that he needed time with God. So instead of going to the big church in the big city in Toronto, instead he went to a small town north of a small town called Madoc, Ontario, which is just north of Belleville. And in there he, made, um, uh, he met with people during the day. He rented an apartment and he prayed all night long. He would go into the, the bigger church in Belleville and he would just pray all night long. It wasn't long before he was called to Montreal, and that was the last time we saw somewhat of a, of a, of a revival or an awakening here in our city. He had the radio program Ask the Pastor on uh, CKGM. Many of you remember that. And God helped him. No matter who called in, God helped him, all because he had made prayer a priority in his life. He was praying one day about how to reach the city of Montreal. He wasn't really sure how to go about it. And the Lord gave him this idea called Dial a Message. And it was this little ad that they'd put in a newspaper. And it would basically say, for an encouraging message, call this number. So people would call this number. Uh, Back then when they had party lines and shared phone lines. I don't know if uh, I'm dating myself by remembering that. It It was a little bit before me. In any case the switchboards were flooded. The whole bell system in Montreal was shut down because of this dial-a-message, because of the thousands and thousands of people calling. That's one idea that was birthed from God in prayer. He had to get all these different switches and set them up over the city in order to accommodate all of the calls. This was such a major thing that happened in the city because no one could use their phone anymore. All the lines were taken up. You'd pick up your phone, you'd hear a busy signal. So this obviously made the news. And it was on front page of the Montreal Star. Pastor shuts down telephone system in Montreal. So lo and behold, the station manager of CKGM is sitting in a coffee shop reading the newspaper. And he gets the idea. He's a radio station manager. He says... Well, if so many people are calling in to hear this recorded encouragement, maybe these same people will call in and want to talk to this pastor. And that's how he got on the radio and he had a successful 
program for many, many years. He was the chaplain of the Montreal Expos. And the one recommendation he had for Christians and for young ministers is that we would return to the discipline of prayer. How important is prayer? It is the lifeblood of the Christian walk. Richard Foster in his book says these words, For those explorers of the frontiers of faith, prayer was no little habit tacked onto the periphery of their lives. Instead, it was their lives. What is he saying here? He's saying that for the, the heroes of faith that we read in the Bible, prayer just wasn't something that they, they tacked onto their meal. It was the very essence of their lives. Their lives were their prayer lives. The expressions of their heart were lifted up to God and represented the work that they were accomplishing. It says this, it was their most serious work of their most productive years. And you all know the stories of the heroes of faith in the Bible. We read so many of them. Abraham, Moses, Joseph, David. In the book of Psalms, David said this. It says, in the morning when I arise, I will seek thee. I will seek thee. Prayer was part of David's life. Centrally. Elijah Do you remember what it says about Elijah? That he was a great prophet, that he did all kinds of miracles. So much so that he prayed for the the land not to have any rain in Israel for a number of years. And then it says Elijah prayed again and the heavens gave rain. But curious it is what it says about Elijah. It says that he was a man like us. He was a man like us. And that the fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It does so much good to pray with fervency, with passion. Elijah faced all the conditions that we face, and yet he was used by God to do a great many things. We also see the greatest example we have, Jesus Christ, God's Son. It says in Mark 1.35 that Jesus made prayer part of his lifestyle. That he would rise early in the morning and set himself apart. That he would, you know, as much as the crowds were booming and people were receiving miracles and all the things, he would often depart and come away to be with his Father. Many times. Church, if Jesus needed to pray, don't we? didn't just stop at Jesus, but also the apostles. You remember when the church was just getting going and uh, they had all, it was booming 3,000 converts in one message on the day of Pentecost and they were starting to put the church together in the book of Acts and they were busy with so many things and the Lord led the leaders to say, you know what? What we're doing is not good. We need to set apart godly men who are full of the Holy Spirit to help with some of these works that we were, we were taking on so that we can be devoted to the Word and to the ministry of prayer. We see Abraham, Moses, Joseph, David, Elijah, Jesus, and the apostles. And for us, it's no different. Our call is to be people of prayer. 
John Wesley, many of you know his brother Charles Wesley, left us all those wonderful hymns. John Wesley said these words. He was the founder of the Methodist Church, by the way. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Wow, what a statement. What a statement. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that God does nothing apart from prayer? You know, when I read the book of Revelation, I see a lot of symbols. I see a lot of things going on there. One of the things that struck me this week was it mentions that there's a certain place in heaven where they talk about the prayers of the saints. We're not in heaven, but our prayers are there. Our prayers reach heaven. Our prayers reach God. And it's important that we understand that God hears our prayers. In this particular passage, Jesus gives us six separate petitions. And they focus on relationship, purpose, provision, forgiveness, and then guidance and protection. The first one is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This first petition as part of Jesus' prayer focuses on relationship. Who are we praying to? Our Father. Prayer is meant to bring us into deeper relationship with God. Jesus opens this prayer with the words, Our Father. Our Father. The term Jesus used was Abba. Abba Father, which is a cultural term of endearment towards earthly fathers. And Jesus appropriates this term to our Heavenly Father. What this means is that Jesus is teaching us that prayer is really an invitation to intimacy with God. Prayer is about relationship with God. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who made the stars and the moon and every galaxy, who formed the oceans, the mountains, the seas, and every person, and knows them all by name, is the one who desires an intimate relationship with you. He desires that intimate fellowship through the agency of prayer. The intimacy, however, should not lead us to irreverence. There's a lot of people who talk about this Abba term and they say, oh yeah, I can just call God Daddy and I can just talk to Him however I want. No, that's not the case. Scripture doesn't validate that. Because the very next statement Jesus makes is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He pairs it together. God's name is to be revered. We are invited to intimacy, however, it should not lead us to a reverence, but instead to a deep sense of the fear of the Lord and a sincere appreciation for who God has made us to be, His children. God's name is to be revered. We know that as part of the Ten Commandments, we are not to take the Lord's name in vain. But what's in a name? What does that mean, hallowed be thy name? Or reverence should go to your name. Is it that we should commemorate God's name and put it on a plaque? 
Remember the expression uh, of, oh, there's nothing like a good name? That speaks more of, than just the actual name we have. It speaks to the reputation and character of that person. So when we talk about hallowed be thy name, God, let your name be revered, we're talking about the character of God. We're talking about the person of God, who God is, in all of His goodness, that He should be revered and that His reputation should be upheld. A lot of times we talk about taking the Lord's name in vain. And we come against that with such fury as Christians. And we should. It's, it's not something that, that I'm saying we shouldn't do. We ought to not take the Lord's name in vain. We shouldn't. Every time I hear someone taking the Lord's name in vain, I, I, I turn to them quite sternly sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, and say, Jesus is a person, not a swear word. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not a curse word. And it just seems like his name has become a byword in popular culture today. You can't watch a movie without having all of these explicits happen. But I want to propose to you something else, that it's not just that. That it's something else. It's talking about not taking the Lord's name in vain. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian, if you've taken the Lord's name and reputation and character, then we should also walk by it. We should also act accordingly. Because His name is to be revered. His reputation is to be upheld. Church, let it not be that we take the name of Christ and yet not walk in the reputation of Christ. We need to revere His name. His name is to be hallowed. His name is to be upheld. His character is to be proclaimed. We acknowledge God's goodness, His character and reputation. Our prayers, when we do this, begin by recognizing who God is. Remember that Proverbs says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's important that we understand that the first element that Jesus brings to our attention when the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, He says, this is the first thing. You need to understand who God is. And He invites you to intimacy, but His name should be upheld. The second thing, the second petition as part of this prayer is centered on purpose. So not only is God providing relationship through this prayer, but He's also providing purpose. It says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is about kingdom expansion. Prior to making our own requests, we need to understand not only who God is, but also who we are. We are God's children, but we are also God's servants. And we need to be about kingdom business. Our work ought to be centered on kingdom priorities according to God's will. Does that mean that everyone should be engaged in full-time ministry? Absolutely not. What 
What is often communicated is the opposite, though. People in the church are made to feel lower because they're not in a missionary or a pastor. And that simply is completely unbiblical. The work that God has given you to do is what He's called you to do, and it is kingdom expansion where you are. And that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't differentiate whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or uh, you're uh, driving a limousine or whatever it is. Whether you have the high calling of being a mother taking care of children or you have to do something other that maybe society and culture would esteem as menial tasks, that doesn't matter because the scripture commends us and says this, that whatever we do, do as unto the Lord. Whatever work we find that we're doing, do as if we're doing it for our God. Because we are. Do you know where that commendation was made towards? It was made to slaves. Slaves, obey your masters. And sometimes you may be going to work and you may feel like you're just a slave. Anybody here this morning? But even still, whether you're slave or free, do everything as unto the Lord. We're about kingdom expansion. We need to understand that this is God's heart for us. The second petition in this prayer is that we are building God's kingdom. The kingdom has been established and we are looking to expand it. And our heart, as we go before God, is yes, we're in intimate relationship with Him. So much of an intimate relationship with Him. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed for, His high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17 said these words. He said, I want that they would have the same unity that I have with you, Father. Imagine that. Imagine that the unity and the intimate relationship that we would have with God would be the same unity that Jesus has with his Father. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed for us. And although we have that intimate provision for us in this prayer, we need to be about his kingdom according to His will. It's very important we make that distinction. We're not achieving God's kingdom, establishing God's kingdom, expanding God's kingdom through our own means, through our own willpower, but we're doing it according to His will. We're working according to His plan. We need to acknowledge His will and His way. Thirdly, the third petition is this. Give us today our daily bread. So not only do we have intimate relationship with God, not only do we have purpose, but we also have provision. You know, so many times I, I, I talk with some young people and they say, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know God's plan for my life. Well, what are the gifts that God has given you? What are the passions that you have? These are the things that we help young people to discover so that they can go on and do whatever that is for God. Because in that, they'll find purpose. And then we come to the place of provision. As we step out in faith, as we build God's kingdom, God meets all of our needs. He meets all of our needs according to His riches and glory, it says. It says in Second uh, Peter that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
And prayer here is about acknowledging God as our source. He is the source of all our needs. Notice it says, today. The prayer isn't that God, you would just supply me with all I need. You see, God desires a relationship with us. And he, one of the ways He does that is by providing us a context where we are in need. Sometimes I think that if we had all of our needs met, where would our reliance be on God? Just a question. You say, no, 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 I, I'd be good. I'd still rely on God. Okay, I believe you. But here Jesus is saying that we need to develop a dependence on God. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today, Lord, what we need. We come to you today. And God desires that relationship with us. So He's created us with needs in such a way that we have to be dependent on Him. We have to recognize Him. You know, one of the faults of Israel in the Word of God was that they moved away from their relationship with God. And that's what happens to many, many Christians as well. And in the Old Testament, Moses reminds the people of God and says this, that says, when you come into the land of blessing, when you move into the land that I promised your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, forget not the Lord your God. Because it is the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth, Deuteronomy says. It's the Lord who has provided this. But what does it say? What's the testimony we have? It says that when they became rich, they forgot the Lord their God who had delivered them. And this is what happens to many Christians. You know, even in my own life, I'll share with you that when I got saved, I was at the end of my rope. It was very easy to give Jesus everything because I didn't have a lot. And here Jesus has blessed me. He's given me all I need, all the provisions I need, a wonderful family, a home, a church, a family, people of God to be in relationship with, to do life with. We are rich, church. We are abundantly supplied with all that we need to serve and love God. But let us remember not to forget Him. Because it's because of Him that's made it possible. All of those blessings I have in my life, can I confess to you, I didn't deserve any one of them. All of the blessings we have in our lives, it's only by the grace of God. And we cannot forget that. We see people on the out and outs in life. And instinctively we say they must have done something wrong. Instinctively we make accusation and judgment towards them because their life doesn't see the same provisions that we see. That's wrong. The truth is, it's only by the grace of God we are what we are. Help us to extend that grace. It says, freely you have received, freely Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Prayer is about the gratitude towards God for forgiveness of our sins. You see, it's not only intimate relationship. 
It's not only purpose or provision, but also forgiveness. When we talk about building the kingdom of God, what are we talking about? That's not just a, a, a phrase that can, it can be shrouded in all kinds of symbolic meaning. When we talk about building the kingdom of God, we're talking about establishing in your heart and in my heart, Jesus' lordship. If we say we're building the kingdom of God, what's the work we're doing? We're working at making Jesus the Lord of our lives. By filling our hearts with His Word that we might not sin against Him. And as we commit our souls and our very hearts to the Word of God, as we conform ourselves to the image of God, as laid out by the will of God revealed to us in the Scripture, we are expanding the kingdom of God in our hearts. And we bring this to God's people. But not only do we expand the kingdom, but we receive forgiveness. It's, and it's about an attitude of gratitude. Capture forgiveness. We've been forgiven. Do you remember what life was like prior to making Jesus Lord of your life, prior to receiving forgiveness? Do you remember where you were in your life? There's a song I love. It says something like this. It says, When I think about the Lord, how He made me, how He changed me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up and turned me around, how He placed my feet on solid ground, it makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and honor and praise. Remember the cross that Jesus bore. Capture forgiveness. How will you know if you've captured forgiveness? You'll forgive others. I've talked with many people and I don't want to minimize the situations that they've been through. I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. But what I'm saying is when you come to an understanding of all that you've been given by God, when you come to understand the eternal significance of what Jesus did on the cross for you, how can we still hold on to things against others? You guys know the parable. Church. Prayer is about forgiveness. We need to capture forgiveness. Now, this is just a side note. You may say, Pastor Jordan, I've tried to forgive people. I can't. I've honestly tried. I sincerely tried to do it. And I can't bring myself there. This is an honest reflection. I want to give you a tip. Pray for them. You cannot pray for someone and hold unforgiveness against them. You can't do both. You can't sin and pray. If you're praying, you're not sinning. You cannot pray for someone and hold unforgiveness against them. And if you've been struggling with unforgiveness, lift them up in prayer. Pray for them. 
And God will do a work in your heart as well as theirs. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, prayer is not just about provision or forgiveness, but it's also about guidance and protection. Prayer is about receiving the provision of strength that we, we receive from God to face evil inside of us and outside of us. Talks about temptation. Talks about suffering. Talks about the evil of this world. Uh, we were at the Urbana conference uh, over the holidays. And uh, church, let me tell you, it was, in a word, life-changing. Life-changing to hear the stories and the testimonies of missionaries, people who have given their lives to uh, serving on the mission field. Now, we can serve right where we are, but it was, it was just something to be among 16,000 college and university students who are all praising God, worshiping God, bringing in the new year, and seriously considering their call to the mission field. That's when the prayers of guidance and protection come to the forefront. One of the things that Francis Chen, who was at the conference, what he said was the missing element of our North American church. He said that uh, in his time that he went over to China and visited the house churches, the underground house churches that are over there in China and how they're booming. And he wants to know what is their DNA? Why are they doing so well? And so he talked with the pastors. And he asked them what they're doing. He said they're committed to praying, they're committed to reading scripture, they're committed to worship, fellowship. So he kind of dismissed it. He said, well, we're doing all those things in, in our church back home too. Why aren't we seeing the same things? There was one element that he overlooked that the pastor in China had mentioned. And that was embracing suffering. Embracing suffering. Do you know that it's one thing to be a Christian, to receive God's forgiveness, to pick up our cross daily and to follow Him. It's another matter entirely. And I was sharing this with a few people this week. To hear God's call, not only to be a Christian, but to go on the mission field and serve full time. We heard stories of so many missionaries and the miracles and the faithfulness of our God to meet their needs and to expand the kingdom in those places. And honestly, hearing those testimonies, church, made me feel a little bit unsettled about it all. Because here we are in our context complaining about such and such that we are missing this or don't have that or things aren't the way we would like them to be. Church, we have nothing to complain about. And I'm asking the Lord to do a work in me, all of these teachings that happened at the conference. Let me tell you, we heard testimonies from a pastor in Iran. God is doing amazing things in the Muslim world right now. Because they're looking at what ISIS is doing and they're coming to Christ. They're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this, Islam, if this is what it is. There's revival amongst the Muslims right now. This pastor from Iran was put in jail for two months. She was praying to God in the jail after a month, saying, God, where are you? 
Where are you? And yet God showed his faithfulness to her. We heard another testimony of, of a family who is in a nation that Urbana wouldn't even tell us where they are and they wouldn't give us their names because it would potentially put them in danger for where they are. And they had a little video that they were showing to us. You see, it's one thing to be a Christian and to accept the forgiveness we have in Christ and to, to make Him Lord of our lives and live for Him. It's another thing to go on the mission field, but it's a whole other matter entirely to go to a country where losing your life for the cause of Christ is a daily and present danger and reality. In this video, the family shared the story. This pastor over there, he looks like me. Young guy, you know, very trendy. He's got his wife. His wife wears the hijab because it's like cultural there. She doesn't want to stand out. Just a regular North American family. Two little girls, two little blonde girls running around the house. You see them in the video. And this guy is looking into the video and he's saying, Last week, there was a raid on our village. We heard gunshots. We heard that someone was injured outside. There's a lot of shooting. And so we grabbed the family. We pulled them under the table. We prayed. We tried to take all the protective measures we could. And we waited. And when the dust settled, they found out that their neighbors had been killed. So this husband and this wife sit down together. And they say, is it time to leave? Is it time to go home? The, the danger here is, is, is coming close. It's encroaching on us. And we need to make a decision. Are we going to go home? And prayerfully together, they said, no. We're going to stay. We're not going home. And that's when the pastor looked in the camera and he said this. He said, because Jesus is worth it. And he said, because this life is short, but eternity is long. Prayer is about asking God for the strength to face the evil in our lives and sin. It's about guidance away from temptation. As we close this morning, I don't want us to be discouraged, but encouraged. We've heard about these giants of, of faith. And we say, well, I'm not Elijah. <laughs> I'm not Abraham. I'm not Moses. Certainly not Jesus. Well, don't be discouraged. Prayer takes an intentional training. And God desires to meet each of us where we are. It's developed over time. You may have the notion that you believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God that you may ask the question, why even pray? That's bad theology. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But in the sovereignty of God, God invites us, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, to be co-laborers with Him. See, somehow, in the mystery of who God is, He's sovereign over all things and yet us, invites us to participate with Him in the grand scheme of things. 
Everything is not fixed. That's more of a stoic philosophy. That's why we need to pray. God was moved by Moses' prayers. What does that mean for us? It means that if God and life itself is changed by how we pray, what does that do? It makes us responsible to pray. We need to learn to pray. You remember that the disciples in this passage, they came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. These disciples were Jews who had been praying their whole lives. But yet they recognized that there was something they were missing in prayer. Maybe you've been praying your whole lives, but I encourage you to say, hey, maybe there's something we need to learn about prayer. Prayer involves a learning process. Jesus expected his prayers to be answered. There's another scripture as a side note, John chapter 15, verse 7. It says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. This is the word of God. Getting in tune with God's frequency. I was mentioning this on the way to the youth rally on Friday night to, uh, to some of the guys we were driving down there. And I said, we need to, prayer is about tuning in to God's frequency. You know, you could be driving down the road and at the same time that you're doing that, there's all kinds of radio frequencies in the air. Thousands of them. TV signals, radio signals, all kinds of stuff. But we can't hear any of it until... We tune in. When we tune in, we get the right frequency. We're able to pick up what God is saying to us. Prayer, therefore, is not so much about talking. Prayer is about listening. Prayer is about not about vain repetition like Matthew 6-7 says, but... As Soren Kierkegaard, a quote from him, observed, A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking, but he became more and more quiet until in the end he realized that prayer is listening. I encourage you to, to, to move in this direction. That the next time you pray, take 30 seconds just to quiet yourself, just to hear God. Before rushing in to begin a prayer, take time to hear what God would say as we're moved by God, as He speaks to our hearts, and we convey that back in prayer, it's God working in us through the agency of His will. We need to listen for guidance. Oftentimes we don't pray because it's a lack of compassion. A lack of compassion. We may say, well, I don't have enough faith to pray for this and that. Or I don't have faith... Jesus said, Jesus dispelled all of that. He said, listen, even if you have the smallest amount of faith, even if you've got a tiny little bit of faith, like the faith of a mustard seed, that's enough. That's all you need. Because it's not what you're praying about, it's who you're praying to that counts. And if you come to God, it says the only people who can come to God are those who acknowledge Him. Faith is the acknowledging of God. We honor Him by first coming to Him and acknowledging that He is able to make all grace abound to us. 
Prayer shouldn't be complicated. Remember that Jesus told us to come as children to the Father. Imagine what a prayer revolution would do in our midst. Units of prayer, this is Frank Lobach, combined like drops of water make an ocean which defies resistance. Church, I would encourage us today to flex our prayer muscles. Amen. Do we have a song? We leave this place this morning, I'll close with a quote that says from Thomas Kelly, There is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration song and worship as the gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you for your church. I pray that they would be encouraged this morning, that you would meet them where they are in terms of prayer that they would find that through worship and through prayer, they would find that intimate relationship with you, that they would find their purpose, receive provision, capture forgiveness, that you would guide them and keep them, watch over them and protect them. Father, all of these aspects are only brought to fullness in our lives because you have made them available to us through the agency of prayer. We thank you for the day you've given us. Help us this year to commit to a deeper walk with you, a deeper relationship with you, that our lives would be centered by prayer, that everything we do would be bathed in prayer, because, Lord, you said all things are possible for those who believe. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.